come back to this specific mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and you worship together with your people here at this mountain, you will know that everything that I have said has come to fruition. And whenever God says this to Moses, Moses says, man, that is awesome. That is the best news I could have ever heard. Praise God, all of my people and all of my heritage, we're going to be free from slavery forever. Thank you, God, for giving me this calling, placing it on my life. I'm excited, man. Is that what Moses says? Moses stands there, you know, he's kind of like, oh, man, just really lackadaisical. And he says, man, I, that's great. Um, I can go back and I can try and tell the people, but they're not going to believe me. God says, yes, they will. I'm going to give you signs, and you're going to be able to go and do these signs before the Israelites. And then Moses says, all right, that's great. Now I'm on board. Now I believe that I can do this. Signs. God showed him something powerful. That's not exactly what he said either. Moses said, well, I can't talk. You can try and send me back over there to Pharaoh, but guess what? I can't talk. I can't do it. So I wish that in this moment, I wish that God would have just said, you know what, you're probably right. I should probably just find somebody else that will go and do this for me. Moses is filled with excuses as to why he can't accomplish what God just told him that he was going to accomplish. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read this, whenever I read Exodus 1 through 4, I see a lot of myself in Moses, or maybe I see a lot of Moses in me, that no matter how many times and no matter how much God has done in my life, no matter how many times he's shown up in powerful ways, I still find new things in my life that need a ton of correcting, that need a ton of growth. Yeah. I know it ain't just me. I still, God, are you sure about this? I, I don't think so. Me? You sure you won't do that? I, I don't know about that, God. Uh, let me, let me, let me, have you met my friend Robert? Maybe he's the better one for that. I, I don't know. But I want to introduce to you for just a second here that maybe in this moment that, you know, God, he's, God's explaining all of this to him. God's telling him all this and, and Moses is getting ready to go and, and he's thinking about this. I, I don't think that Moses has a problem with faith. I don't think that it's a faith problem. I don't think that he lacks faith in God. He just saw it, right? You don't need, you don't need to necessarily have faith. He literally just saw that God could do anything that he wanted to do. He saw a burning bush. He saw something incredible that we're going to read just in just a second. I don't think that Moses necessarily has a problem with faith. But what I want to introduce to you is just an idea for just a second. And maybe you've never thought about this this way, but whenever we look at Moses, what we see here is a little bit of emotional immaturity. Emotional immaturity. Now, if you're a guy in the room, at some point or another in your life, you've been called immature. All right? You've been called immature. Moses here is not necessarily physically immature. Not necessarily physically immature. He's about 40 years old at this point. But emotionally, emotionally, Moses is still a baby. He's still a baby. After all that he's seen God do and after all that God has done for him, he doubts the next step. Not because he doubts God. He never says that he has a lack of faith in God and what God can do. But Moses says, I have a lack of faith in myself and I have a lack of faith in those that are around me that you just said that I'm getting ready to leave. 
And so Moses doesn't lack faith in God, but Moses has a little bit of emotional immaturity. Like I said, I, I see myself here. Now, you won't believe this about me, but there was a time in my life, in middle school and high school, my nickname was Mr. Mature. Um, I always acted like I was like 30 or 40 years old, you know, like horse playing and stuff like that, goofiness, you know, I was a typical boy, but I was like, all right, guys, let's, let's be a little civilized here, let's go to class, let's get everything done, and that was my reputation was Mr. Mature, which means I naturally had zero friends. Um, but I did have a girlfriend, okay? I will say that. Girls, it, it, she was older than me, and she's still my wife today. But you see, there's a big difference between being physically mature and being emotionally mature. And, and I'm still, at this place in my life, I'm still finding ways in my life where I'm emotionally immature. And maybe you do too. Somebody else gets something. And I feel like I've worked hard for it. I feel like I earned and deserved. I can't be happy for them. Why? Because I'm a baby on the inside. Whenever I see my neighbors and they haven't necessarily, you know, worked for something, they have all these things. And, or I see a, maybe another pastor, you know, I'll just be transparently, I see another pastor, another church or something like that. I'm like, man, that's really cool. Why didn't I come up with that? I'm no good. I'm nobody. I have moments where I'm still a baby on the inside, where I can't be happy for the success of others, where I can't help but take things personally whenever it doesn't go my way. Maybe I'm alone in this. You see, we, I think we do it all the time. And God says to do something and we allow our emotional instability to take over. Uh, there's a pastor in Brooklyn. Uh, his name is Pete Scazzaro. He talks a lot about this. He has a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I encourage every single person in this room to read this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's partly changed my life. And he talks in this book about emotional babies or emotional children versus emotional adults. Listen to what he says about emotional children. And I know that I found myself here. Maybe you did too. He says that emotional babies... They are content only when they get their way. They're only content whenever they get their way. If it's not their way, they're not happy. This is a big one here, that emotional babies are easily hurt by others. Take offense to everything. That emotional babies, they complain or they withdraw or they take revenge or particularly for me, they become sarcastic whenever they don't get their way become really sarcastic. That emotional babies, they interpret any disagreement as a personal attack. Oh, you don't want to do it that way? Oh, man, you hate me? What's wrong with that? You got beef? We got beef? Emotional babies, they unravel quickly from stress and disappointment and trials. God just tasked Moses with something very powerful here, very uh, courageous, something deep. And Moses immediately begins to may bring excuses. They won't believe me. They won't listen to me. But he says this about emotional adults, that emotional adults, they can, they can resolve conflict maturely and they can find solutions with considering the perspective of others. That meaning that we'll find something that maybe we disagree on, but you know what? I'm not going to blow up at you. I'm not going to run the other way. I don't need to go outside for a smoke break. Guess what? We can figure this thing out together. And I'm still going to love you either way. This is what an emotional adult does. Emotional adults can recognize and they can manage their own feelings and their own thoughts. 
Emotional adults respect others without having to change them. That's a biggie. Emotional adults, they give room for people to make mistakes and not be perfect. And lastly, emotional adults, they accurately assess their own limits, their strengths, and their weaknesses, and they're able to discuss them with people. They don't have to hide things. You know what? I'm not afraid of my limits. I'm not afraid of my weaknesses because I can share that with you. I'm emotionally an adult here. I've grown up. And I'm, a, I'm not afraid to talk about those things. You see, Moses is immature in the sense that he's more worried about what others think and what he thinks about himself than he is with what God says. We've all been there. We've all been there. We're not comfortable with what God says. We're comfortable with what we know. We're not comfortable with what God says. We're comfortable with what other people say about us. So we do this all the time. And here's what I believe about you and me and what I believe about the church, the capital C church today. I believe that we're in an era now where we might know a ton about God, where we might know a ton about Jesus, where we might even have a functional knowledge of God's word and the Bible. But whenever it comes to other people, we do not know how to relate to each other. We don't know how to stay in family. We don't know how to communicate. We don't know how to relate to even ourselves. And I believe that that's just where we are today in the church. You say one thing wrong to me and I will go somewhere else. You say one thing wrong to me and I will be hurt for the rest of my life. And I will never trust somebody else again. You see, there's still so much of this in, in our own selves and in our body where we're still very, very immature on the inside. And I just want to ask you this. For your life, your personal life, for you, whenever God says one thing, and you think another, when God says one thing and somebody else might say another, who generally wins? Who wins in that battle? Who's going to win? Let me show you what we're talking about here in Exodus 4. If you got it, say amen. 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 All right, the Brunsons and I will read together from Exodus 4. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our connect table. Exodus chapter 4. Let's try that again. You there? Say, I'm there. Then Moses answered, this is still the burning bush, God talking them out of the burning bush, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. I just told you that, that he's already bringing excuses to God. They're not going to listen to me. Like he's talking to like kids or something like that. He's getting ready to go talk to kids. They're not going to listen. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and then when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He says, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, that they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, 
you shall take some water from your Nile, from the Nile, and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. And so Moses is already filled with excuses. He says, listen, I will go back to the Israelites. I'll go back to the Hebrews. But guess what? Whenever I tell them that I talked to a burning bush and that it was God, and God told me that I needed to go and go on behalf of him to Egypt and rescue people out of slavery, they're not going to believe me. And so God says, hey, yeah, just so you know that they will believe you, take that staff that's in your hand, throw it on the ground, and whatever you did, it became a snake. He touched it by the tail, and it turns back into a staff or a rock. And he says, here's another sign to you. They don't believe that. He says, put your hand inside your cloak. Puts his hand inside his cloak, pulls it back out, and it's leprosy. Like leprosy on his hand. We talk about this, this flesh-eating disease that just appeared out of nowhere. God says, put it back in. He pulls it back out. It's, it's gone. It's completely gone. He says, if they don't believe these signs, which I believe they will, but even if they don't believe these signs, he said, then we will take the Nile River and we'll, we'll tinker that a little bit. He says, you'll take it and it will become blood on dry ground. Listen to what he says in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, that's awesome. This is great. The best time of my life. He says, oh, my Lord, I'm not elegant. I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? That's like the ultimate question, right? Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord... Please, please send someone else. We're finally getting to the heart of the matter, right? Please send somebody else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not air in your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I, will be, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, or your mouthpiece. He's going to do all the speaking, and he shall be as a God to him. And take your hand, and take in your hand this staff, which you shall do all these signs. Let's pray. Father, uh, I pray here in this moment. Lord, that your Holy Spirit might speak to us and show us the ways uh, in which we fit into Exodus 4. And how there's still so much about us that you're refining, that you're changing, that you're making us to look more like Jesus. Lord, here's what I know about myself, and here's what I know about my brothers and sisters here in this room. God, many days I'm not comfortable in my own skin. And I worry about, uh, I worry so much about what people think. Or I, I get in my own head. Lord, we all do that. And whenever we do this, God, we fail to, uh, we fail to trust you fully. Or we fail to see the big and great things that you want to do. And so we just ask this morning, Lord, through the Word, through Your Spirit, that You teach us, You change us. In Jesus' name.
Look with me in the first verse there, verse 1. He says, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Immediately what Moses is saying, and he's made up his mind already that no one is going to follow him. Nobody's going to follow me. He's made up in his mind that he has zero influence over other people. That he has zero influence. He's worried already about what others think of him. We've already talked about Moses a little bit that, you know, he, he kind of grew up in Egypt, but he would kind of spend his, well, a little bit of his time with his real family, the Hebrews, the slaves, and then he'd go be with the rich people, then he'd go be with the slaves, then he'd go be with the rich people. He's already a little uncomfortable with himself. He's already a little uncomfortable with his surroundings and the people that are in his life. And so whenever God says, I want you to go and speak to them, he says, I have no influence over these people. Obviously, his solitude and his time with God is still, there's still something in his life where he's not comfortable with who God has made him to be. Even in solitude, God is still unable to convince him of what he said and who God has said that he is. Do you trust God over people? Let me ask that again. Do you trust God over people? Is what God says about you more important than what other people say about you? Is what God says about you more important than what your family says? Is what God says more important than what your friends say? What your old buddies used to say back in high school or college? Over what even maybe your spouse says? What your parents might say? Is what God says more important than those things? You see, Moses should have known that if God came in the form of a burning bush and that if he could perform great miracles in an instant, that God would immediately give him influence over other people. He would give him exactly the influence that he would need, but Moses, Moses doesn't trust God over people. Moses is uncomfortable with others. He cannot relate easily to others, so that is the first thing that he says. He says, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. But that's not the only thing that he says. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in my past or since you've spoken to me, uh, to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. You can imagine here that Moses, well, we don't know exactly if Moses had some speech impediment. We don't know that. But here's what we do know. We do know that Moses was kind of a smart guy. He grew up in Egypt in the household of Pharaoh where they would have had education. That Moses is the writer of the first five books of the Bible. Moses is not a dumb guy. But here before the Lord, he says, I, I can't talk. I can't talk. And essentially, we, like I said, we don't know if it's a speech impediment. But what we do know is this, that Pharaoh's advisors were very sharp dudes. And so he's going to have to get ready to go before the king of Egypt, this, mag like this magical, majestical place. And he's going to have to talk before the king of Egypt and all of his advisors, these men that he would have spent a lot of time around, that he would have known, these dudes are sharp. And so really what Moses is saying is, hey man, I'm not educated, alright? Like I, I don't have what it takes to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these guys. I'm not smart enough. And I think some of us, whenever we see this, we... We like to look at that and say, man, that's, you know, okay, I can understand that. You know, Moses is basically saying that I have no talent, that I have weakness. That's what Moses is basically saying. He's saying, God, I'm too weak for this job. I'm unqualified. 
Now let me ask you this. I've asked you already, do you trust God over people, but do you trust God over your weaknesses? Do you trust God over your own limitations? Over your weaknesses? Do you trust God over those very things? Is what God has said about you more powerful than the weaknesses and limits that you have? Now, some of us might look at Moses and say, well, at least he's not being prideful, right? At least he's taking the low road. At least he's not saying, hey, God, you know, great. I don't even need your help. I'm the best at this. I can do this. I don't even need you in this process. You see, there's two words, uh, that, that word pride. There's a pride that we all know where, where we say, you know what, here's, here's pride where, you know, we're arrogant. And, you know, you can kind of picture somebody who's prideful. Immediately your mind just pictured somebody that's prideful, you know, maybe got their hair gelled or something like that. Or maybe wears skinny jeans and sweaters. And, you know, you know, that's a joke. I'm wearing skinny jeans and a sweater. That's me. It's, it's a joke. Oh, boy. We love each other, don't we? But, you see, here's the thing. That's not the only form of pride, is there's a form of pride where we think that we're better than others. There's a form of pride where we look down our nose at others. There's a form of pride where we think that we're the best. And that's pride. But there's another word that's called, or another phrase that's called false pride. That maybe you don't look down your nose at others, and maybe you don't think of yourself more highly than you all, but maybe you look at yourself more lowly than you. False pride says, I'm nobody. False pride says, nobody loves me. False pride says, I'm too weak. False pride says, nobody's even thinking about me. God's not even thinking about me. I don't have what it takes. I'm no good. And both are equally sinful and both are equally harmful. Pride and false pride. So maybe you don't deal with pride, but maybe you're like Moses and you deal with false pride. It's dangerous. I'm nobody. Nobody thinks anything good about me. I'll never amount to nothing. That's what false pride is. And I think many of us are dealing with false pride. I think we are. I think we're looking at our weaknesses and I think we're looking at our limitations and saying they're too much for God to overcome. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm divorced. I'm introverted. I'm from a small town. I have no money. I don't know enough. I'm too short. I'm too hurt. We've all got something. And every single one of us, we take those weaknesses and we take those limitations and we say, this is more powerful than God. My weakness is more powerful than God. My limits are just that. I'm limited in what I can do. I'm no good. I have nothing to bring to the table. In this moment, Moses has just been assured by the creator of the universe that he's about to do something, and he has tasked Moses with one of the greatest missions of all time. And Moses says, you know what? I can't talk. And so in this moment, Moses has immediately allowed his life to be defined by one thing, one thing only. A weakness. I can't talk. You know, that would be great. That would be awesome. But you see, this mouth of mine that you gave me, it's, uh, it's just a little too weak. He's allowed his identity to be wrapped in his limitations over what God has literally just told him. He's allowed his weaknesses 
to overcome his identity. You see, we forget or neglect the promises of God and we stick to what we know about ourselves and we fail to hear what God wants to accomplish through us. That's exactly what happens in my life, maybe in your life too. Let me ask again, do you trust God over your limits? Do you trust God over your weaknesses? How many of you know what a, uh, what a paradox is? Paradox. Awesome. Four of you. Great. A paradox, and I'm going to do my best to describe this, it's like an oxymoron. Okay, I didn't call anybody a moron. But it's like an oxymoron. It's, uh, there's some truth to it. It sounds contradictory. It's a statement or a phrase that sounds contradictory, but there's actually a lot of truth to what's being said. Let me give you a few examples of what a paradox is. A paradox is something like, I am nobody. You get it? I am nobody. Okay, so technically you are, you exist, so you are somebody. But in that statement, maybe you believe that you're a nobody. So that statement is a paradox. I am nobody. Wise fool. He was a wise fool. That's a paradox. This is the beginning of the end. How many of you have ever said that? I said it last night in the fourth quarter. This is the beginning of the end. And it had so many meanings to it. My life, the game, everything. If I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. If I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. This is a paradox. Last one. Here's the rules. Ignore all the rules. You see, it sounds contradictory, but there's truth to what's being said. There's some truth to this. Here's the great paradox of Christianity and what we know about God. That God uses weak, ordinary people. Let me say that again. Many of you need to hear this this morning. Here's the truth. And the great paradox of Christianity is that God uses and fulfills and brings about His purposes in the world through ordinary, weak people. God uses introverted people to bring about His mission and His purposes in the world. God uses old, young. God uses the divorced. God uses the lonely. God uses those who have cancer. God uses those who feel unqualified. Here's the great paradox of Christianity. And the bottom line, if you don't take anything else away from this today, is that God uses ordinary, weak people to do, not just, his, not just bring about His purposes, but to do great things in the world. Yes, to do great things in the world. That's exactly what He's trying to tell Moses here. He says, I'll give you the speech. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 says this. It says, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He's talking about pride, false pride a little bit. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, meaning that he had uh, revelations from God, he had special insight from what most of the church did. He's one of the greatest missionaries of all time. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to, be, to keep me from becoming conceited. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, should be, that it should be taken away, that it should leave me. God, take this away from me. Take this messenger away. Take this uh, thorn in the flesh away. Take this limitation away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in 
weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, today we don't, we don't really believe that. We don't even know what that means. How can God's power be made perfect in weakness? We listen to things like that. We say, no, no, no. Power is made perfect in power. It's a great paradox in Christianity that through Christ and through the cross, His power is made perfect in your limits. His power is more perfect and made perfect in your weakness. Because whenever you pull back, whenever you say, I can't do it, I have this deficiency, not in a false pride kind of a way, but whenever we allow the power of God to shine through us, this is whenever His power is made perfect. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my, my weaknesses. When's the last time that you boasted about a weakness? When's the last time that you took that thing, that very thing, that holds you down, that keeps you discouraged. When's the last time you took that very thing and said, this is my weakness, but I'm going to boast in this because whenever I boast in this weakness, the power of God shines through. Moses should have known this. And this is exactly what God is trying to do. God knows Moses' situation here. He knows it. Who made man's mouth? Who can make the man deaf? Who can make the man lame? Is it not I, the Lord? Your weakness that you have it's there for a reason. Your limit that you have is there for a reason. You think God wanted Moses to show up and shine out so that he could get all the glory? No. God says, I'll speak. I'll speak. I'll use you. Let me do the talking. And he says that to us. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong you see Christianity is different from every other religion in the world let me tell you a little bit about how because God came in the form of a baby what's more weak than a baby I arm wrestled my son yesterday I said look at dad's muscles let me show you your muscles and he just looks at me what's more weak than a baby God came in the form of a baby not only that, but he came to a virgin mother. A virgin mother that was put on a donkey. He was born in a cave. What's more weak than that? God, whenever it came time for him to build his ministry, he didn't start from the top, but he started and he rallied together a bunch of blue-collar dudes, pulled them off a boat, said, hey, come and follow me, change the world. What's more weak than a bunch of blue-collar dudes? Here, there, laid hanging on a cross which was at this time believed to be the most cursed thing that you could do as a human being laid bare, naked in front of friends and family on a tree, cursed what's more weak than being laid naked on a tree in front of your friends and family not only that, I'll tell you what's more weak than that. What's more weak than that is actually dying. What's more weak in life than breathing your last? What's more weak than that? See, God chooses to use weak things, weak people, 
ordinary people for His glory. And I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. That we will never be used by God the way that He wants us to be used if we're uncomfortable with our weaknesses and our limits. We'll never be used by God the way that we want to be, need to be, the way that God wants us to be if we're not comfortable by our limits. We may never see God move if we're stuck in them. But I want you to look at the last one. Last verse there, verse 17. God said to him, I'll be with you. I'll be with your mouth. You should, I should, he shall be your mouthpiece. I'm going to tell you exactly what to say. Verse 17. And take in your hand this staff, which you shall do the great signs. If you know much about Moses, you know that that staff was always there with him. I don't know if you've ever seen the old Ten Commandments with Carlton Heston. You know, got Moses. Whenever I picture Moses, that's what I picture him to be like a little bit, just because that was kind of what I grew up on. And he's always carrying around this staff. And if you know much about the Old Testament, you know that this staff never leaves him. That this is this is a part with him wherever he goes, because God told him this is where the signs are. The signs are going to be done through this staff. He says, carry this with you. God has said the same thing to us. He says, carry this with you. This is your staff. Because this is where you're going to be reminded of the promises that I have for you. These promises that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promises where he says that you were adopted and brought into the family of God, that you were an heir. Promises where he says that you are a more you are more than a conqueror through Christ. Promises that say to you that one day your future is sitting together with all the believers and all the saints collected, feasting and partying, because our enemy has been overthrown. This is the staff that we carry with us that show us and prove to us that through grace and through faith that God has given us everything that we need to be on His team. Let me ask you this. Do you believe it? If God has said it, is it final? Are we still going to allow our minds and our thoughts to cloud our judgment? Are we still going to allow other people to say things about us that we believe? what God has said. Let's pray.